The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you are in the right place. The buzz today, better together Always, let me explain. As our world becomes increasingly digital, your company's survival will rely more than ever and more heavily than ever on opportunities for co-innovation within your business network. I know that's a loaded sentence. I've talked about digital. I've talked about the world. I've said the key word, your company's survival, and I've introduced the concept of co-innovation. This is not the first time we're talking about it. Those of you who are fans of our business innovation with game. Game Changers Radio Show heard us talk about this exact topic on June 19th on a different show. That's right. So how can your company make this happen? It's a lot. Well, simply put, you have to seek out and connect with the right collaborative partners. How do you know they're right? Well, they're the ones who can help you achieve the solution edge that will keep your company competitive and successful. Again, a lot to accomplish. But where do you look? How do you know who to choose? Well, we have a little guidance on the word innovation from Peter Drucker just before I introduce my panelists. Peter Drucker said, the best praise an innovation can receive is for people to say, this is obvious. Why didn't I think of that? So if you put that, apply that to the concept of co-innovation, you may be sitting around a table with those right collaborative partners and somebody brings up an idea that you wish you had thought of. That's the beauty of co-innovation. More good minds around the table. We have invited back two of the panelists from the show I just mentioned. Plus, we've added a newcomer. So let me get started. First up, I'd like to welcome back Dawn DeRoss. She is a senior director in Cisco's Global and Strategic Partner Organization. There's our keyword partner in there. And Dawn has sent me a quote from Coach John Wooden. Those of you scratching your heads, who is John Wooden? Well, he was named the Wizard of Westwood. He was head coach at UCLA. Get this, he won 10 NCAA national championships in 12 years and an unprecedented seven in a row during that time. So he's a guy who understands winning. Here's the quote. Do not let what you cannot do interfere with what you can do. Beautiful quote, Dawn DeRoss. How are you today? I am great, Bonnie. Thanks so much. Thanks for coming back. I love the quote. Are you a, a big fan of basketball, Dawn? Or how did you come to bring this quote to us today? I, I am. I'm a huge sports fan, and I love sports analogies for business. I think there are so many great parallels. So tell me about the quote. Well, I, I love the fact that, you know, often in huge organizations, it's, you know, people get into paralysis by analysis, and you have a lot of people saying, 
you know, that can't be done or you've got a lot of folks saying no, 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 and let's not try that. And, and the key is always to stay positive and to stay, uh, you know, stay really excited about some, the, the new possibilities and start small. Smart, start with what you can do and, you know, create a really entrepreneurial environment within your team, within your co-partnerships with other companies and within your ecosystem. So I, I think it's, you know, it's a great parallel within sports as well as business. Interesting, John. I want to dissect it just a little bit with your permission. Uh, John Wooden says, don't let what you cannot do. Do you think when companies hit the wall in terms of innovation, in terms of creativity, in terms of moving forward with something new and fresh, or maybe something that is long overdue to meet their changing market dynamics, do you think they sit there and scratch their heads or hit literally bang their fists against the wall, Dawn, and say, we just don't have what it takes. We just can't do this. What are we going to do? Is that where the magic of co-innovation comes in and they can move forward into opening up the door or the window, if you will, to what they can do then? Do you think that's that's opportunity knocking, literally? I really do. I think, you know, most of the time, I don't, I don't think companies uh, as an entity sit around and say, oh, we can't do this or we can't do that. They just may be stuck and, you know, focused on certain areas, almost like group think. Everybody's focused on one thing, and, and it's good to, you know, refresh and disrupt yourself and get other folks coming in and, and different ideas, and that's the beauty of partnerships, you know, kind of, uh, you know, get a whiteboard, start over, let's think of what we can do, what are some new ideas, and I think that's where some of those great concepts come from. Thank you, John. All good. Appreciate it. And welcome back. We're delighted to have you with us again. It's been when? Since I, I think I just said uh, June 9th, so it hasn't been that long, and we're glad to have you back. Now, you. we're adding a newcomer to the panel before I bookend the three-person panel with our other returning guest. Our newcomer is Krishna Kumar. He is the founder and CEO of a startup called App Orchid. Think of the orchid. Think of an app. We'll find out later what it's all about. And Krishna has sent me a very interesting quote from Don Vito Corleone, the godfather. Uh, those of you who don't remember the movie, my goodness, it was Mario Puzo based on his book. And the godfather was portrayed by Marlon Brando from the ages of 53 to 63. Robert or Bobby De Niro played him from 25 to 31 and somebody named Oreste Baldini played him as a child. Yes, I do my trivia look up. And the Godfather was known as a traditionalist who demanded respect commensurate with his status. Ooh, talk about sitting around the table and co-innovating and paying respect to your people who are there with you. So here's the quote. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. I know my accent's terrible. The choice of life. <laughs> Krishna Kumar, I'm sorry I butchered your quote. How are you, Krishna? Welcome. I'm doing great. And what a great movie. And you did pretty well with the impression. <laughs> I didn't even really give it my all, but I don't want to frighten anybody from turning off the show. So tell me, how did The Godfather land on a show called Coffee Break with Game Changers? This is a new reference for us, Krishna, and I'm delighted. So talk to me. Yeah, it'll be a good metaphor once I explain what it's about. Um, so, so if you take a step back and look at today's digital times, right, not adopting the Internet of Things, not adopting social media, not adopting smart devices, not adopting the incorporation of unstructured data coming from mails and blogs is basically an existential challenge to enterprises. You can't have a CIO saying that I have 
a rock-solid ERP system or a fantastic uh, information technology landscape, but I'm going to ignore the digital ecosystem that's building around me. That is an existential risk. So if I want to tie it back to the godfather analogy, okay, mm-hmm. it's a deal you cannot refuse. The digital ecosystem is offering a deal you cannot refuse. Actually, the latter part of the, the, the quote is a little bit morbid, but I, I will say what it is. So Don Corleone goes that I'm going to paint the contract with your brains, right? So sorry for the morbidity here, but, but suffice to say, that is the, the cusp of mortality that the CIOs today are, are, are um, sitting with, grappling with, if they don't adopt the new digital ecosystem. So I thought it's a little bit of a morbid reference for an early morning show, but I think that's the gravitas of the opportunity and the gravity of ignorance that could be associated with this issue. And Krishna, I love the way you explained it. Not morbid at all. It was almost poetic the way you said it. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. Okay, we're delighted to have you on the show. And again, thanks for the great quote. Now let's bring on what I call our bookend. He's Puneet Suppal, S-U-P-P-A-L. If you want to look him up, he's a member of the Customer Innovation and Strategic Projects team at SAP. And Puneet has sent me a quote from Abraham Lincoln, who was U.S.'s 16th president from March 1861 until his life and his term were cut short in April 1865. Those of you history buffs who forgot the year, here's the quote. The dogmas of the quiet past are inadequate to the stormy present. We must think anew and act anew. Oh, that's so deep. Panit, welcome back. How are you? I am well, and I'm so glad to be back. Thank you. We're delighted. Tell me, how did Abraham Lincoln get you? Let's see, we've got our quote sources lined up. We've got Coach John Wooden. We've got Don Vito Corleone, the godfather. And we've got Abraham Lincoln. That's certainly, I won't say a motley crew. I didn't say a motley crew. That's an interesting crew of famous people to bring their quotes. So how did Abe Lincoln get here, Panit? So, you know, one of the things is, I'm going to make a confession on radio here. He is my all-time favorite U.S. president. And uh, it's it's a study of you know great character and um, great determination, perseverance. I mean, you name it. The qualities we look for in you know that we want people to have in society. He just, to me, in many many ways showed that. And and, and at the same time, he was human. It was not that he was a superman and he was sort of perfect human being, if you will. But he he brought forth something very special. And I think, uh, as a nation, we owe a lot to him. And, um, and so, you know, so obviously that influence has always been there for me. And when we talk about innovation, the, the ones who succeed are the ones who are very, very willing to give up on the dogmas of the past. And I really mean that because you cannot really sign up for, you know, to be in some kind of an ideologue, if you will, and then also expect to be innovative because to be innovative you have to keep yourself very open to newer ideas you have to keep yourself open to accepting that change is the only constant that should be considered if you will and actually this sort of uh, you know i would like to you know i actually thank uh, krishna for the way he connected his don corleone quote <laughs> with what he wanted to explain and I think this is relevant to that as well, because if you are going to ignore the uh, changing trends around you, if you are going to ignore what the world is asking you to do, 
you are going to be stuck in a past and you're going to be regressing as a society even. And for that matter, businesses are going to regress and um, they are going to die. That's simple. Mm. So that we must not be hung up on the dogmas of the past. We must be up to the task, if you will, to deal with the stormy present because it's a stormy present. There are a lot of things going on. And not all of them are bad, but it's a lot of change. A lot of change. Thank you. We got a little bit of our, a touch of our morbidity from Don Corleone in the red. <laughs> CEOs, be aware. You want to live, you have to listen to the show. No, we've got, got some really good thoughts. Thank you, Panit. I've already tweeted, heard on SAP Radio. Panit Supple at SAP says, Abraham Lincoln is his favorite U.S. president. Great influence. Listen now. So there you go. You are now on record with that, Panit. Thank you very much. I'm going to circle it back to Don DeRoss. And Don, I'm going to ask you, you know, Oh, this is Coffee Break with Game Changers. What are you, I know you're giggling. What are you drinking right now? I, That's I'm actually, it. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm actually drinking uh, green tea with a little bit of lemon just because I've uh, got a little bit of a scratchy throat, which I've always heard hot tea is great with, with your voice. So um, it's, it's very good. It's, and plus, it's good for you. So there you go. <laughs> There you go. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. I hope you feel better. You sound great, by the way. We don't hear it at all. Krishna Kumar, what are you drinking or what are you planning to drink right after the show? I am drinking a venti, Colombian-grade, non-fat, high-intensity coffee that I got uh, about 45 minutes ago. Starbucks. I'm a Starbucks. Thank you. Starbucks. And is it is it a tall one? Is it a short it's one? A Did you put it? It's a yeah. It's, it's a, a it's, big one. It's a venti. That it, it, shows it, you what I. I'm a pretty regular coffee drinker, so every 15 visits I get a freebie. So today was one of those freebie freebie days for me. Hence the venti. Wow. And do you put anything in in the venti? Do you sweeten it or a little whipped cream just for no, kicks or no, anything? No, it's, it's as it comes from the barista. You are a purist. I appreciate that. I think Don Corleone would appreciate that too. He'd like your your moxie. That that's a <laughs> okay. Enough with the Corleone. Panit, what are you drinking today, or what are you thinking about drinking after the show? Yeah, well, for someone who was advocating change, I'm drinking the same thing I was drinking last time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't remember. It was June 9th. I've probably done 25 shows since then. So why don't you refresh our memory? It is a very strong psalm tea with some ginger in it, which also helps uh, keep the throat nice and clear. Dawn, you might want to use some ginger in your tea next time. Mm, interesting, ah. Dawn. There's a little tip for you. And, and Panit, does it have to be fresh ginger shaved off of the root, Absolutely. or can it be... Pa- yeah, yeah, okay. We have some purists here. I really appreciate that. Well, as Dawn and Panit know, and Krishna doesn't know, Bonnie is not allowed to have caffeine on radio show days. I wonder why. So I'm drinking a, a very pretty glass with a very pretty green straw because I'm thinking of success and profits that we're going to help our audience figure out how to get. And uh, I have just pure, clear water, filtered water, and it is very good and refreshing. So there. So guess what? Our topic today is co-innovation, your path to a digital future. And guess what? I think that digital future is already here right now. This is part two. We're delighted to have back Dawn DeRoss from Cisco, Panit Supple at SAP, and we are joined by our new panelist, Krishna Kumar, the founder and CEO of App Orchid. And in the second segment of the show, we're going to ask Krishna to tell us very briefly what his company does. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break, so don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We have a lot more to talk about. Co-innovation, 
your path to a digital future. And please join us. We're tweeting at hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. You already know how to spell that. Customer innovation at SAP is already tweeting, and they've just quoted Dawn DeRoss. It's good to disrupt and refresh yourself. That's the beauty of partnership. See, Dawn, you're immortal already, but you already were. Thank you very much. So I'm going to say to our engineer today, Justin, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, experiential education, and research about leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches who are dedicated to engaging and providing the leadership needed for a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer two cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching and the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership. We also offer a range of ICF Certified Advanced Coach Education Master Courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email itlprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are. We're speaking today about co-innovation, your path to a digital future. This is part two of a topic, and I have to do a shout-out to Jeannie Tran at SAP Ariba, who first introduced this topic on our show called Business Innovation with Game Changers Radio on June 9th, if it sounds familiar. Okay. Dawn DeRoss at Cisco has graciously agreed to help me start the roundtable, and I'm looking at your notes, Dawn. Here's an interesting quote you sent from Jeffrey Davis, who heads the Human Health and Performance Directorate at NASA's Johnson Space Center, and he said, in opening up the problem-solving conversation to include those from outside the agency, NASA acknowledges that for all of its technical wizardry and know-how, it simply doesn't have all the answers. If that isn't a testimonial for the value of co-innovation, Dawn, I don't know what is. So why don't you tell us how you came to find this, and uh, why don't you expand it for us, please? Yeah, you know, very interesting. It was part of an article uh, called The Leadership Paradox and Why Collaboration is Key to Innovation. Uh, It was based in the Guardian publication back in May 2013. And as I was doing some research for this program and thinking about, you know, the, the all of the different complex agencies and companies out there and do they innovate or do they collaborate to innovate? And, you know, vast majority would, would say yes. Um, one of the interesting things is, Often, um, you know, there's a question about how do we do we focus on what we want to achieve rather than what competition does, and um, a lot of folks say no. We need to look at competition to find out um, our own inspiration and how we can set ourselves apart, but also 
focus on what is needed in the market. Maybe nobody is doing uh, what's need, you know, what's needed, what our customers need. And within NASA, you know, the fact that they talked about um, open innovation was was about finding new approaches, new people, and new organizations that were previously unknown. So, you know, even NASA thought that they knew everyone in their field, the field of space and space travel and, you know, aeronautics and what have you, and they found out they didn't. So, you know, here, here's an agency that's been in, in place for so many years, and uh, I just found it fascinating. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, often uh, to focus on contribution and wider social environmental challenges is something that creates competitive advantage. So usually, you know, always focusing on customers, customer loyalty, and that also attracts dedicated employees to your own company because they know you're focusing on what customers need. Thank you, Dawn. I I really appreciate this quote because I know we're not in the quote segment of the show, but to me, this is a brave statement from Jeffrey Davis. This says to companies, as you pointed out, NASA's been around a long time. They know everyone. Everyone knows them. And he's admitting we thought we knew all the players in the field, but we really didn't. That's that's a statement of, of vulnerability as well as foresight, insight, and saying, Let's open up the table. I, I love it. Couldn't be more appropriate. Thank you so much. Krishna Kumar, first of all, tell us just one or two sentences about what App Orchid does and then comment on Dawn's topic, please. Certainly. So App Orchid believes that in this new ecosystem, people are so spoiled by the whole consumer app experience that they are expecting everything to be dispensed in the form of a consumer app. So if you look at an SAP ERP system as an example, SAP obviously is a great software, has been around for a long time. But if you look, if you peel the layers of the onion and look under the hood, you'll see that SAP, like everybody else, is looking for these small consumable nuggets, these small apps. So what App Orchid is doing is basically trying to cash in on this, this newfound enthusiasm for apps, and we are essentially building an artificial intelligence stack that will consume the what we call as the Internet of Everything, which is a Cisco term, and that's probably a good segue into, into what Don said. But very quickly, the Internet of Everything, as Cisco has described it, is the Internet of People, the Internet of Process, and the Internet of Things. So we all know what the Internet of Things is, right? These are the bits and bytes. It's the, it's the physical world manifesting in a digital form, right? That's the sensors and the, you know, the smartwatches and what have you, right? Then you have the Internet of People. That is the highly unstructured wisdom. I call it tribal knowledge. It's people who have been in these industries for 30, 40, 50 years. You said NASA you know, has been around for you know, 60, 70 years, but there's so much captive wisdom in the organization right? We call it the Internet of People, and then you have the Internet of Process. So what App Orchid is doing is we, we believe that there is, there is a potential and an opportunity to amalgamate these three streams of data to essentially build apps. So at the end of the day, we believe that no business problem should be more than one app away from a solution. And that's already mm-hmm. true in the consumer world. I mean, if you want coffee, there's an app for it. If you want uh, you know, uh, travel to Boston, there's an app for it. Why should enterprises be any different? There is all the wisdom from several, you know, billion man years of research and development. It's time for them to manifest as apps. And kind of going to Don's comment here, this is kind of resonating with what, what, what Nasser just said, right? They have all these amazing sensors that can go as far out as Pluto and radiate back the, you know, the environmental conditions there. There are probably, you know, a 
10,000 scientists knowing, you know, the, the chemical equivalence and the formula of, uh, you know, what the atmosphere of Pluto is made up of. And what if now you had this magic umbrella that could amalgamate the, the Internet of Things, which is the sensors with the captive wisdom of the human being, the art of the possible is unlimited, right? So we believe there's a fantastic potential for the unstructured, semi-structured, and the structured to come together to solve some serious problems in the industry. Thank you, Krishna. Very eloquent, and we—I I wish you were more passionate when you spoke. I really do. Kind of, kind of dull there, Krishna. We're delighted to have you. Love the energy. I was trying to pay you a compliment backwards. Thank you very much, Paneet Supple. Join us. Thoughts about who is sitting around that table? How do you know who those non-insiders are to invite in from outside? Talking about Dawn's comment. Go ahead, Paneet. Well, you know, first of all, I want to thank Don as well for such a wonderful uh, reference because, and, and to answer your question, before one can even get there, one needs to have a certain sense of humility. No innovation mm-hmm. is possible if we come from a position of arrogance and a position of thinking we know everything. That is the mm. whole point of co-innovation, where we are sort of admitting that we don't have all the answers we have a pretty good idea of how to solve a lot of problems. So let's get together and let's figure out how we can create some new value out there. That humility is very important. And, um, and I think that's what's reflected in that statement for, for an organization such as NASA. And, you know, and that's, once you have that, you become open to seeing things the way you would not see if you were blinded by your own uh, brilliance, if you will. And... Uh, what that will then do is then you do recognize where you have gaps, where the partners you're engaging with can help you, and perhaps identify those that, you, that are not at the table even, and you want to bring them to the table. Interesting. Dawn, I want you to comment. Some really good thoughts added by your co-panelists. What do you think? Yeah, I was, you know, I was uh, thinking especially, uh, Krishna mentioned about IOE, and, um, you know, we've, at Cisco, we've talked a lot about IOE and, and the fact that the market, we're expecting it to grow three times to 1.7 trillion by 2020, which are, you know, huge numbers. And, um, and that's one of the reasons that there's so much co-innovation going on in that space. So, um, so it just kind of ties back to even the NASA quote, you know, it, it takes multiple companies to solve problems that are huge problems, and, uh, and IOE, I think, is a great space that, the, that we can see a number of examples of where that's happening. Thank you, Dawn. I, I have a question for the whole panel. We just talked about the table, the NASA people saying, well, we really don't, we think we know everybody, but we don't yet, and we need new energy and new thoughts. We've talked about uh, being, uh, what did we talk about, um, being humble. Panit brought that in. I talked about being vulnerable. My question to all of you is, what if you bring in, just a little practical advice for our audience, what if you bring in some people with whom you'd like to co-innovate? And, and panel, that was one of my opening questions, is how do you know whom to ask? How do you know who the right people are? How do you know it's going to work out? So let's say you bring in uh, a team. Uh, you bring in an outside team. You bring in a consultant or somebody who is known for their brilliant thinking or their out-of-the-box thinking processes, whatever their known qualities are. You bring them in, and it's really not helping. It's really not going anywhere but around and around in circles, and you're all kind of uh, clucking to yourselves quietly saying, how do we get rid of this person? How long do you wait before you say this part of co-innovation, it was trial and error. We tried it, but gee, 
not making progress, we have to move to somebody else. Let's talk about the human side of uh, bringing people to the table. Dawn, Krishna, Panit, who wants to take that? I'm very curious. Um, well, I'll start just with, you know, I think you have to set targets right at the beginning. And maybe it's once you set, you know, the metrics and if it's, you know, six months, nine months, at some point, maybe I would probably argue within a year, if you're not making progress, then it may be time to pull the plug. Um, you know, I've read this article one time that talked about the 12 principles of collaboration that talks about, you know, um, individual benefit is just as important as the overall corporate benefits and, you know, make sure that you're driving the strategy before the technology. So it's key to set that strategy up, up front. And one of the most important things is measure what matters and then, you know, have this kind of uh, cadence that you're making sure that things are on track. But, um, but so I think, I think you've got to have regular check-ins. You've, there has to be governance. It has to be very um, measurable and run uh, very effectively. And then you have to decide, you know, is it paying off for all of the human capital involvement in that collaboration? And, you know, paying off should mean revenue <laughs> at some point. And if it's not within 12 months, is it going to happen in 24? Uh, and be, have enough courage to pull the plug if it's not working. Ah, uh, we got the word courage. We got limits. We got, we have deadlines. We have have some structure around it. Krishna, Puneet, either one of you like to add? Yeah, to so, so it was a very. I'm, uh, there's a very important word Don mentioned, which is measure, right? So mm-hmm. obviously, the the most frequently used measure of success, sometimes unfortunately, is revenue, right? How much how much money does something generate? That's a metric everybody understands. Is by far. The uh, most uh, emphatic uh, calibration of any process or any person, I would like to look at that a little differently, right? So why Mm -hmm. would people buy anything or do something? There are three things, right? There are three things why people buy software or buy anything for that matter. It is risk, revenue, and cost in that order, where risk is by far a distant first and revenue and cost are way behind. So my calibration of a person's aptitude is a, is a function of these three dimensions, right? So let's talk about risk. Risk basically can be quantified as what I call as the fear of the unknown, right? Nobody wants to be subjected to a failure because he or she did not anticipate the cost, right? So a good person is one who can calibrate risk. And same is actually true for companies too. I mean, not to digress from, from, from your, the nature of your question, but it's a very important dimension to talk about corporations as well. The CEO or the CFO, for example, is extremely worried about an asset, a pipeline kind of bursting in the middle of a populated town, you know, leading to injuries and such, okay? So the ability to attribute risk and taking that culture, running it all the way through the organization is extremely important. Revenue and cost could be a distant second and third. So my calibration of somebody's ability to inculcate within the organization is a function of these three dimensions. And if he doesn't measure up to these three dimensions, like Don said, you've got to pull the plug at some point. But it's all about you know, how they stack up in, in these three buckets. Wow. Paneet, thoughts? Wow. They've nailed it between <laughs> Don and <laughs> Um, oh yeah. I, I'll just I'll just add one little thing, which is a nuance, um, which I think is perhaps typical of what we do here at SAP. In the, what I do, you know, with what my team does, or maybe it's typical of many organizations. So while all of these um, criteria or these uh, guidelines or whatever we want to call them that Don and 
uh, Krishna have mentioned are very relevant in any business scenario. The thing that excites us most and the thing that motivates us most here is, is this an idea whose time has come or whose time could come that we could really do something with it in a bigger, broader way? So, you know, people may say that I'm going to, you know, there's a new thought that we want to create some new value around something. And I'm being nebulous deliberately. I'm trying not to pitch product and things around here. Mm -hmm. And, And that concept is fine, but if it's a one-time thing, it's not truly innovation. You're just sort of doing something that helps you. It's a little what we call a modification or a slight enhancement. True innovation is when you build something that has enduring value. That is a very big measure in addition to the things that we must, as practical business people, look at that Krishna and uh, Don have mentioned. But that is very important to us. And when we go through an initiative with a Let's, because what we do is mostly customer innovation, and okay, and you know, often the, there are partners who join in. Mm-hmm. We, we would never get into a scenario to begin with if we don't think there is good promise. And, and when I say we, I mean all parties are concerned, not just we at SAP. And we know that there is a certain commitment because there will be ups and downs. If we go uh, into it thinking that we need it to show revenue within a very aggressive time frame or if it needs to show some kind of outcome within a very aggressive time frame and it doesn't happen. You know, it, it, it's pointless to go into it if, you, if the idea didn't have legs to begin with. But if the idea had legs, if it had strength, if it had a robust backbone, if you will, then you know that this is probably a bump in the road. And you've got to measure that. And, and how you measure that is you always go back and check and validate, is this something that is going to have enduring value? Which, you know, so that is a very important additional criteria, and I'd add to what has already been said. Thank you very much. Good conversation. I'm ready to move to some notes that Krishnar Kumar sent me before the show and uh, take a slight twist on this conversation. Krishna pointed out in his notes, he said, organizational IT is not confined to information technology alone. And he adds, 80% of organizational information is trapped in tribal knowledge. The future of an organization cannot be trapped with individuals. And the question is, this is information locked in the heads, the minds, the brains of your workforce. So what happens when somebody leaves your organization? Where does that intelligence go? And we know the obvious answer. Krishna, interesting point. Why don't you expand for us, please? It's a problem, right? So if you look at Mm -hmm. many industries that are, excuse me, maybe I need a green tea with ginger. Uh, (laughs) If if, if you look at many of the organizations in the utility space, the gas, the insurance, even healthcare, these industries are on an average about 40, 50 years, right? And if you look at the life cycle of an industry, it's typically an inverted bell curve or sometimes a plateau or more often than not a plateau. But there is this... um, there is a spurt of growth in the middle. And that typically happens in year 15 or year 20 of an industry inception. So what that means is about 25, 30 years ago, particularly around the baby boomer generation, there has been an amazing amount of a wealth of wisdom and knowledge that has come into this mainstream. Take aerospace, for example, right? If you were to draw a histogram, you will see that maximum growth and innovation in the space. Aerospace happened in the late 60s, the 70s, and early 80s, right? So what that essentially means is that the baby boomer generation now pushing 60 are going to leave the organization. So all that capital wisdom is gone. 
Um, there is a funny story, actually not so funny, considering it's a nuclear industry. The only industry that buys the 286 Intel processor, 286 mm-hmm. was 20 years ago, is the nuclear okay. industry, right? And that is scary and funny at the same time, right? What that basically tells you is that there are many very mission-critical industries that are kind of stuck with technology, and they are trapped in this bubble and unable to ex- escape that bubble. And same is true with um, aging workforce. Same is true with aging assets, Okay. So what is absolutely pressing now is the need, is the conduit to expose that wisdom from this bubble to the external universe, right? And this is a growing problem in utilities, oil and gas, healthcare, diagnostics, insurance, and needs to be addressed very, very quickly. Thank you, Krishna. Paneet, thoughts on this? Very interesting conversation. Where are you on this? Actually, um, you may or may not recall, I had mentioned to you earlier, and I don't know if it's statement you're going to use about breaking down old paradigms of analytics. Mm-hmm. What Krishna touched upon is exactly that. Because, you know, traditionally we believe that we, you know, information that can be captured in traditional ways is, is what is available to us. And we wished, we have wished, I think, for a while to tap into these so-called non-traditional, that's my word, I, don't, you know, I think Krishna's word was tribal knowledge, the non-traditional sources of information that go into making good decisions. And that's what is changing, and we need to have that change. And I think what has happened is people have sort of known this all along. Technology was perhaps a limiting factor, no longer, because now we have abilities to manage these things on an ongoing basis. There are quite a few vendors who claim to have great prowess, and of course, at SAP, and I'm sorry, here comes the shameless plug for HANA. With HANA as an engine, any problem of that nature can easily be addressed, I think, because, again, we can tap into different sources, we can tap into different ways of doing this, and, um, you know, this is important, because now we are able to go further, and once we are able to tap into that kind of information, the what-if scenarios change, people can do a lot more more richer simulations, if you will, and it all means that you can start to squeeze more value out and, and every little bit can make a big difference in uh, high-margin b- uh, businesses. Or I should say, sorry, low-margin businesses. <laughs> sorry, I misspoke mm-hmm. there. Because what that means is every little bit you can squeeze out is going to make a difference. It can make the, it can make the difference sometimes between survival and extinction. And in many cases, of course, it can help differentiate a business. So I think the time has come for us to look at this. Thank you. Dawn DeRoss, thoughts? Yes, um, actually, there was a study published last year by a team of researchers led by Wharton's Jennifer Mueller, and what they found was that in most organizations, innovation isn't hampered by a lack of ideas, but rather a lack of noticing the good ideas already there. And uh, both the panelists have kind of mentioned about, the, you know, the fact that some things are trapped in people's heads. But I would argue, you know, that the, the corporations may be not noticing or companies may not noticing some of those ideas or acting upon those. So, and they also found in the study that we all share a bias against new and creative ideas when mm-hmm. faced with even small amounts of uncertainty. It's almost like, um, you know, the human nature of not liking change. And, um, and again, that goes back to why we've got to be willing to disrupt ourselves and disrupt, um, you know, the, the, 
current level of thinking and not shoot down new ideas right away, right? So I thought, I thought that was interesting and about the ideas being there already in many cases. Thank you, Dawn. I love the way you have your finger on the pulse of so much research. You're always coming up with names <laughs> and places, and we really appreciate that very, hey, very Bonnie, much. This is Puneet. Can I yes, piggyback please. on uh, yeah. Dawn's comment a little bit? I wish you would. Go ahead. Well, thank you. Well, Dawn, I think that, that quote actually is so profound and so true because, you know, Newton didn't invent the notion of gravity. It always existed, Right. It, it was something that was recognized. And for that matter, almost ev- every piece of knowledge that we have is something that got discovered at some point. And even when we talk about innovation and inventing things, it's really a discovery and it's really a removal of that veil of ignorance that we as humans have blinded by many different things. And if, I, you know, if you look at many of the, shall we say, spiritual masters who have walk the earth, you know, um, and perhaps there may be some around still, almost all of them would agree that, or have agreed that it is often that profound knowledge that helps us remove that veil. Or I should say that knowledge is un- unveiled because that veil of ignorance is removed. So you're absolutely right. Even in organizations, um, even in businesses, many, time, many a time the idea is right there in front of us, staring at us, and we just have to get out of our own way. Absolutely. I think I think that's that's a point very well taken and and I believe that goes back to Dawn's original quote from Jeffrey Davis at NASA which is they realized they had to get out of their own way because they didn't have all of the right people at the table and that's a great opportunity for me we're close on time here but we have enough time for one more thread so Panit I'm looking at your notes and uh, an interesting something jumped out at me in the beginning of the show I said where do you look how do you find we've been talking about that the process of how do you know whom to invite to the table for the potential value of co-innovation. And you say here in your notes, look beyond your shores, open to other partners, startups. Let's talk about that. Uh, How do startups play in this landscape of co-innovation? Just because somebody says, hey, I have a great idea. I got some seed money or some angel investors. I have a new company. I'm trying to take the world by storm. How do you know they're the right ones to co-innovate with you? Or that whatever is shared at the table might go into their arsenal, their, uh, their armament, their toolkit, if you will, and become one of their ideas. Who gets rights to the co-innovation products? Let's put that on the table. Panit, anything or everything? What, 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 let's talk about greed here. Panit, what do you think? So, well, what I think has to be tempered with what my employer thinks. So, <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Hello. So, so, so first of all, yes, indeed. Uh, we, you know, the, the, there's a reason why SAP has started an SAP Startup Focus Program. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why we work closely with many startups, including AppWork, in fair mm-hmm. disclosure, right? SAP does work with them. Right. Then, excuse me. There's a vast ecosystem. And the reason for that is <clears throat> we believe that they, uh, they are not constrained by the limitations bigger organizations have. They are out there truly to create something, almost all of them from scratch, um, so, so let them have at it. Let them, let them work with us. Let them share. So we share our technology with them. I will not get into contractual details, and I will not talk about intellectual property here because that is a very deep and serious discussion, and mm-hmm. I'm going to actually duck that question. But okay. the point is, we, they do play a very important role because they bring a certain flavor that many others cannot. And when I'm done speaking, I'm sure Krishna can weigh in 
in you know quite a lot of detail about what it means to be a startup and why they are important to the ecosystem. But the the but but you know just to to sort of underscore one thing, when we uh, at SAP started the SAP Startup Focus Program, I think that the thinking was was very clear because we had something new to bring to the world. We knew we could do a lot with it, but if we opened it up to a vast ecosystem that could take advantage of it, we would mm-hmm. see so much more diverse use for that technology. And that would stimulate people to think, you know, how this can be used. And I think that's important as well. If we want to encourage innovation, we want to have people thinking in new and creative ways. Startups absolutely play a big part in all of this. Thank you. And, and Puneet, I don't know if you and the other panelists are aware, but before we hear from Krishna, who has been summoned to the table to speak because of Puneet's comment, uh, we did a radio show. We had 22 weeks, I believe, last year of Startup Focus with Game Changers here on the Business Channel. And I had the privilege of meeting and speaking with so many startup owners, founders, uh, lead people, and heard their ideas and their energy. And it was quite a pleasure to speak with them. So I I understand what you're talking about. And by the way, Puneet, your comment, looking behind your, be, beyond your shores, I think we can expand that to looking beyond your doors, your floors, and your shores. There we go. I'm just going to put that out there on the record. Krishna, talk to us. What do you think? The role of startups being invited to the table for co-innovation. So my, my turn to do the shameless plug for Hana, right? So, well, and, and I'll be truthful here. So when, when I first joined the Startup Focus program, I was filled with apprehension. Uh, a, primarily because SAP is this, you know, gazillion dollar valuation giant, and I'm this puny little guy, and I had no expectation of, of respect or, you know, contribution and collaboration or any of that stuff. And this was about, you know, 20 months ago. And but when I met the folks at Startup Focus, I was immensely surprised. Uh, the the hospitality was very very different. Uh, mm-hmm. You know the the audience that I got. I got to meet the CEO of SAP twice in mm-hmm. a session with forty thousand people filled up with CEOs and CIOs. So I was like. Of all the people Bill McDermott could meet, he chose to meet me. And I was, that must mean a thing or two about how important the whole startup focus program is, right? Oh, yeah. so, so, so suffice to say, there, is, there, there are two reasons, okay, that I, uh, I, I'm saying I decided to partner with SAP like it was a choice, but really was because, you know, I'm this paucity of time. And there's only so many days in, a, in so many hours in a day. So I had to pick my time, right? But I did partner with SAP for two reasons. First, obviously, being the best in the enterprise business, who better to partner with than SAP? So there is mm-hmm. that. But more importantly, it's the software, right? It, it, it's the capability of SAP HANA. And what is so exciting about the software is that it does four things that I need for my artificial intelligence products. So what are those four things? The ability to pass textual data. So streaming flows of verbal data, the language that you and I speak, or vernacular. HANA can parse that. It has the ability to create what you call as a knowledge graph, which is basically how Facebook works, right? System of connected objects, there is that. And then it's all in memory, which means performance is amazing, okay? The beauty is I could do one of two things. I could have gone to open source. I could have got four open source software that could have done this, or I can go with HANA. And it's one throat to choke with the name of SAP behind it. So no prizes for guessing which way I went, right? It's the SAP HANA story. So my brain now runs HANA, and it can do 
everything that I just described earlier on about tribal wisdom incorporation and understanding analytics, all with one single engine. It's something that was absolutely inconceivable, and it gets even better, the fourth thing I was telling you about. It can now be on the cloud. In other words, I can rent it. For $4 an hour, I can test drive my artificial intelligence engine and choose to either go further with it or not. So for a $4 an hour investment, I can basically build a brain and convince my user about the business value and its outcome and make a sale, something that was absolutely impossible even like 10 months ago, right? So that's the, 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 the way, and again, though SAP is you know, leading the pack here, they're definitely not alone. There are a lot of people thinking along these lines, but suffice to say, it is all of these amazing technologies coming together that helps us realize the vision of co-innovation with our ecosystem. Thank you very much. We'll forgive the shameless promotion, but very appreciated how eloquent you were. Dawn DeRoss, thoughts on the role of startups in co-innovation? And we've got about mm-hmm. one and a half minutes until I'm going to move you, Dawn, into our predictions round. So what do you think about wrapping this up, Dawn? Sure. Um, yeah, so recently we had um, Dr. Peter, Peter Diam. Diamandis present mm-hmm. to a, a huge Cisco conference called Cisco Live. And uh, for those that don't know who he is, you know, he's been the founder and chairman of the XPRIZE Foundation, CEO, uh, co-founder of the Zero Gravity Group, and he's very well known and uh, very impressive looking at the future. And so he had a number of interesting things that I thought he, that were very interesting to me. Um, he talked about success as a function of the number of experiments being done per year, per month, per week, and per day. And so successful companies create a culture of experimentation where you have small, isolated teams that have the ability to try and fail in order to find success, you know, which could be your own company or with other small companies. I think the key to that, too, is you know, finding, uh, you know, timelines where you pull the plug. And then he also talked about the explosion of startups has made collabor- collaborative innovation vital to long-term success, which uh, is exactly what, uh, you know, the other panelists had just got done saying. So mm-hmm. I think startups are incredibly important and often become acquisition targets <laughs> for large companies um, to mm. fill out the portfolio of what's needed down the road. So, so it's, you know, makes a lot of sense. Don, what's Thank your phone you. number? you can talk off air now 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 guess what guess what it's time for our crystal ball predictions round and i'm going to roll this back over to dawn de ross at cisco and dawn i let's say why don't you take uh 90 seconds you know by now that i love the year 2020 it just trips off the tongue if you will but you can pick any future time even 10 minutes from now or 10 years or 20 years or next christmas whatever you see in the crystal ball what will be different if we met again, and I hope we do, Dawn, about the conversation about co-innovation, your path to a digital future? Uh, what will we be saying? What will have changed in the interim? So 90 seconds, predictions, Dawn DeRoss, go. I think that there will be even more partnering than there is today. Um, and I, I know I'm the quote queen here, but um, you are. <laughs> PwC um, had a survey of CEOs um, just recently, and they found 51% plan to enter into new strategic alliances or joint ventures in the next year, compared to 44% that said that last year. That is a huge jump, you know. And so I think that's what, what's happening is CEOs of all sizes of companies are realizing 
that they need to partner to, to disrupt themselves, to disrupt the market, to continue to grow and to continue to innovate. So I believe in, you know, in 20, the year 2020 or even next year, you know, there's going to be a continued focus on teaming, partnering, acquisitions, driving different ideas. Thank you, Dawn. Appreciate that. You are the quote queen. I love it. I keep being that person. We'll invite you back. Love it. Thank you. Krishna Kumar, 90 seconds prediction. See if you can contain yourself in 90 seconds. Krishna, predictions, go. Well, go. like I said, the, the, the future lies in the unstructured, you know, combined with the, the supernatural intelligence that computers are beginning to have, right? It's the artificial intelligence, self-driving cars, what have you. So the future belongs it will be a three-legged stool. It's obviously going to be technology, right? Then there is going to be content, and the third is the ecosystem. And what I mean by that is the technology is the easy bet. It is the super intelligent, high speed, thanks to Intel, high bandwidth, thanks to Cisco. It's, it's the machines that get really, really fast and smart. So that's the technology bit. But the other two pieces is where all, it's all about co-innovation and co-partnership, which is content. No person is smart enough to know all domains, right? There could be, you know, GE knowing the electric domain. There could be Philips knowing about light bulbs and so on. So the ability to now amalgamate content from these disparate uh, smart thinkers, if you will, that's the content piece, the content leg of the stool. And the third stool is all about ecosystem. How rapidly can you propagate your ideas through an app marketplace or, you know, an innovation forum, what have you. So the future... um, five years from now, what have you, is going to be these three legs of the stool consolidated. Ah, very well put. I love that picture. Thank you very much. And Panit Supple, I saved 90 seconds for you for predictions. How far in the future are you looking in the crystal ball? Go ahead, Panit. Well, thank you, Bonnie, and thank you, Don, and thank you, Krishna, for your uh, insights here. The way I have been looking at these things, I believe that we get caught up in the hype of a lot of things and we don't often focus on what lies beneath, if you will. We, right now, if you, if you look, at, look around us, there is this big noise about the Internet of Things. We've talked about it a few times on the show today. Not that it is false. It is certainly something whose time has come because technology is there now. Uh, but the thing is, what exactly does it mean? When we talk about the Internet of Things, we're obviously talking about working across boundaries in some form or shape or the other. And, of course, it's technology-driven. When we take that a step further, what does that mean? It means there are entities that lie beyond, beyond those boundaries. And these are part of what we could otherwise call our business network. So really, an IoT, an Internet of Things type of solution, is really a business network solution. It is something that existed in rudimentary fashion earlier, perhaps. Now we have the ability to use uh, technology to drive that further. When you combine that with our need for information and analytics that help us drive our next process step, you see how this whole thing starts to come together. Everything we've discussed today around analytics and looking at uh, what Krishna calls tribal knowledge and uh, so forth. So what I see happening in the next few years is a lot more activity along these lines. We'll, I think maybe the time for business networks has come. 
and the Internet of Things is enabling that. And this cannot work if any one entity decides they're going to do something in isolation. By definition of the situation, it requires collaboration among partners. And I'm proud to say that I'm, you know, Krishna and Don, they represent organizations that partner well with us. And uh, we just have to work, move forward in that fashion. And there's going to be Thank more you, of Paneet. that happening. My dear, I have to co-innovate with you because we are out of time, and I appreciate all of the kind words you're saying to everybody, and I have to echo those. I want to say a special thank you. Dawn DeRoss, our official quote queen. Come back anytime. I'll be in touch. <laughs> Krishna Kumar, love the passion. My goodness, you certainly represent well the startup community. Paneet Supple, what can I say? Paneet, great picture on Twitter of you with your official SAP Game Changers radio <laughs> mug. We'll have to get one for Krishna, Dawn, if you don't have one, send me your address. We'll get you one as well. And a shout-out to whoever is tweeting at SAP, Cust, I-N-N-O-V. You know who you are. Great tweets. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Great episode. This was number 195. We do about 50 of these a year. So join us every Wednesday live at 11 a.m. on the Business Channel. I'll be back tomorrow with a live edition of something at 10 o'clock in the morning. I think it's, uh, yes, it's uh, Meet the Visionary Game Changers. I think that's tomorrow. So many shows, so little time. Justin and the Business Channel team, thanks for getting us on the air. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign SAPRADIO. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.